Welcome to the Humans and Earth podcast. We bring you inspiration and practical resources for healing our planet and ourselves. It's time for soulful contributions that regenerate life on Earth. I'm Shara Arman, a thought leader and teacher who believes we're ready to renew Earth and heal ourselves in the process. You can find our work online at humansandearth.com and on Instagram at schoolhumansearth. I'd love for you to be on our newsletter list and receive our updates on Instagram. Please share our work at the School for Humans and Earth with anyone you think might be interested and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast so that we can include more and more people in the regeneration revolution that I believe is happening on planet Earth. Welcome to today's episode. Welcome back to Humans and Earth. I am delighted to be bringing you today an interview with Nina Simons. I had a chance to interview Nina several years ago in the fall of 2014. So those of you who are on my mailing list from the Healing Earth, Healing Self Telesummit may have heard that interview. And of course, if you are familiar with pioneers or environmental activism, in the US, then you've probably heard of Nina's name. Nina Simons is the co-founder and chief relationship officer at Bioneers, and she leads its Every Woman's Leadership Program. Bioneers is a nonprofit that uses media, convening, and connecting to lift up visionary and practical solutions for our most pressing social and ecological challenges revealing a regenerative and equitable future that's within our reach today. I am certainly aligned with that focus myself. Nina is a social entrepreneur who is passionate about reinventing leadership, restoring the feminine, and co-creating a healthy, peaceful, and equitable world for all. She speaks and teaches internationally at schools, conferences, and festivals, and co-facilitates transformative workshops and retreats for women that share practices for regenerative leadership through reclaiming wholeness and relational mindfulness. Throughout her career spanning the nonprofit, social entrepreneurship, corporate and philanthropic sectors, Nina has worked with nearly a thousand diverse women leaders across disciplines, race, class, age, orientation, and more to create conditions for mutual learning and leadership development. In 2017, Nina was a recipient of the Goey Peace Award. Did I pronounce that right, Nina? You did. Presented annually to individuals who have made outstanding contributions toward the realization of a peaceful and harmonious world. She is also the author of the 2010 book, Moonrise, The Power of Women Leading from the Heart. Welcome, Nina. I'm really happy to have you here today. Thank you, Chara. It's really good to be here with you. So 
I see you have a lovely poster of your new book. And well, it's probably not going to show up as well here in the glare, but really our focus for today is to talk about your wonderful book, Nature, Culture, and the Sacred, A Woman Listens for Leadership. And I told you in the notes I sent that I really wanted to begin with a paragraph from your page 11, which I think is a really hopeful opening for us. You wrote the following. After many years of working with women who lead change, I now believe that at its heart, leadership is about the nexus or connective tissue that brings together three core elements. I see it as finding the place where each of our unique gifts or talents connect with serving what we love the most and also with a real need for reinvention or renewal in the world. When we find that connection point, that nexus, and act from that, we become unstoppable. The joy that comes from doing that work creates a self-reinforcing loop. So that gives our listeners a taste of some of what's in this book. And what I found as I read the book, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, in this time on earth, which is rich and complex, a time of crisis, a time of incredible growth and change, and after your many years of really engaged studying and practicing innovative leadership, what are you most advocating for? in regard to how you think we need to evolve our understanding and practice of leadership? What I found in my own exploration for myself was that I had inherited some definitions of leadership that were very deeply informed by the the core patriarchal bias in our culture. And so when I was first named a leader, I didn't like it at all. And I really felt like I wanted to deflect it. I felt like it painted a target on my back. And it was not a title that I had ever aspired to. And I thought, but if what I've learned from pioneers is true, which I know it is, that the earth needs us all to be leaders now, then leadership itself must be changing. And a lot of what I found is that You know, in our conventional inherited definition, it's very top down. It's very hierarchical. You know, we have these mental models of leadership that are not necessarily kind or compassionate or sharing of authority. They tend to be designed around win-lose paradigms or winner-take-all. They often exercise power in ways that I never aspired to and that I found damaging. So as I explored in my first book, Moonrise, I I read transcripts from hundreds of leaders who had spoken at Bioneers to see who I most admired, and then to explore whether there were themes about how they practiced leadership that they had in common and really grouped the book's essays according to those themes. And a lot of it has to do with sharing authority and collaborative leadership. You know, a lot of things that many of your listeners probably are already familiar with. But one of the core ideas is what I call full spectrum leadership, because 
in that old model, the kind of patriarchal values tend to prevail, right? It tends to be action-oriented, somewhat rigid, analytical, logically designed. And again, the, the core hierarchical way that that leadership has traditionally been practiced tends to devalue the people who are serving the leadership goals the most. And so for me, what I found is that, you know, I want to practice a leadership that I call full spectrum because regardless of what gendered body you may be in at this time, we all know that we all have masculine and feminine within us and that the feminine qualities around leadership have been so systematically devalued that we've many of us have internalized that devaluation and so we don't think of our emotional intelligence as being really um, valuable to us or our intuition or our body's awareness and knowing or our dream time information. And even, I would have to say, the definitions we've inherited around what masculine behavior is, even those are not very balanced or healthy. So I want to be able to draw from anywhere on a spectrum of human qualities that aren't necessarily relegated to the masculine or feminine, and the most inspiring leaders I know are those that can show up with vulnerability, can show up with not knowing, can turn to each other for help and counsel when we need it, and can exercise what I have come to call relational intelligence in their strategies because they're really looking at how do we help create a culture where transformation is possible and where it's encouraged and rewarded. And since we're all trying to co-create transformation, I think those are the skills that need to lead right now and that we all need to be supporting and encouraging in ourselves, each other, and in those who are leading change that we admire and appreciate around us. Yes, I really appreciate the way that you state that, Nina, because it definitely looks to me from my various standpoints, which include training as a historian. So I, I tend to think in the long arc of human history, but it definitely looks to me like we are in this transition that you speak of. Mm. We truly are outgrowing the top-down hierarchical, male-dominated, white-dominated modes of leadership. And we not only are learning to think of leadership as something more egalitarian and relational, as you say, but it needs to be understood and you know sketched and framed in a totally different way. It's no longer this top-down thing as you're describing. It's much more egalitarian and collaborative and actually democratic. Yes. Definitely looks to me like this new inclusive and relational leadership that's been developing over multiple decades is probably going to make a difference to democracy and and that also will will benefit us well and the other thing that i would add shara is that old definition 
allowed for leadership only in a few circumstances. And I think it's important that we broaden our definition because I think parenting is one of the most profound forms of leadership that anyone can do. And so is art making and so is teaching. And, you know, so we have, and people can be leaders from the back of the room, from underneath the room, you know, there are all kinds of ways to lead. And I think there are probably as many expressions as we are human beings. And so I want to honor and acknowledge and celebrate the leadership that comes from all directions and all ways. That's beautiful. And it makes me just so curious about what this world will look like and how how much restoration we can accomplish for humanity and the planet when we ask that question that you just brought forward, which is everyone asking, how am I a leader? What kind of leadership do I offer? Not, is it a yes or no? Do I fit the standard professional box of leader? So it's really yeah. wonderful how, how widely you're helping to open our understanding of that. Mm, thank you. That was well said. <laughs> A big aspect of what you have worked on and what you talk about in the book and what you've contributed through Bioneers is giving particular attention to the feminine, which I think, as you've already implied, does not only belong to women. But I, I'd love to hear you speak about this global need that we seem to have for feminine wisdom and even a kind of a global thirst for the feminine and feminine wisdom right now. And I, I'd love to just open up that conversation with a, a beautiful paragraph from the book. This is on 205. You say, I believe that investing in the leadership of women and restoring the feminine to a place of equilibrium with the masculine throughout all of our lived experiences as individuals, as well as in our institutions and culture, are essential to the global transformation that we as a species are being called to make in order to shift our course to a life-affirming future on Earth. I'd love for you to help our listeners understand how do you believe we can most meaningfully be making space for the feminine or feminine wisdom now? Well, you know, I tend to believe that leadership is a process that starts from the inside out. And so for me, part of my own practice is to witness myself carefully and consciously and somewhat dispassionately to see, am I listening at least as much as I'm talking? You know, am I paying attention to my dreams or my intuitions? And there is so much evidence now in terms of, you know, I love the, the open invitation of the title of your podcast of Humans and Earth, because um, there's so much evidence accumulating now about the value of women and bringing the feminine forth in leadership to our most pressing earth challenges, notably climate change, of course, and the climate crisis. And, you know, studies from Paul Hawken to many, many others to the UN are showing that 
women are not only um, receiving the worst brunts of the effects of climate crisis, but also women are demonstrating the best solutions. And, you know, you see all this evidence piling up about how women in leadership seem to carry a different consciousness about making decisions for the good of the whole. And I think, you know, we in general are in a paradigm shift, really, from an I culture to a we culture. And I don't know whether it's some combination of nature and nurture, but it does seem to be true that, you know, perhaps because nature evolved us to be mothers, perhaps just because this is how we're wired, or because we've been received so much appreciation and support for doing so. I feel like, in my experience, women have a quality of radar to sense into how is the community doing and what needs care and support, when and how. And before I make a decision about tomorrow, uh, let me assess how everyone's doing today and what that looks like. And, you know, I've, I've been amazed, Shara. I was recently invited to an advisory board for a group called Daughters for Earth. And Daughters for Earth is designed to channel resources to women all over the world who are at the front lines of climate crisis responses. Because globally, the women who are doing some of this most promising, most exciting, most paradigm shifting work are receiving 2% of the philanthropic support for climate justice. Well, that's crazy, you know? And that's, I mean, I think that I have been humbled and awed to realize how long and deep the influence of patriarchal culture is around oh, yes. the world in all oh, of yes. our cultures, you know, and whether it's from the burning times or from way earlier, I believe that we all carry that genetic imprint intergenerationally, you know, science has proven now that we do carry those imprints in our bodies. And my sense is that, you know, while seven generations of children throughout Europe witnessed the women in their lives being systematically persecuted and tortured and burned for the supposed crime of being witches, that's something we all carry an imprint of. And it's not an easy thing to, to uh, shed and move beyond. Yeah. And it goes back much, much earlier. I mean, it, it's not yep. my area of specialty, but I'd say we have at least five to 8,000 years of patriarchal domination on this planet that we're now trying to outgrow. And so the many, many, many eras and ways in which that's been enforced have absolutely had a really big impact. Yeah. So that leads me to be curious about something. I mean, on the one hand, we could say that in the last hundred years, there's been a lot more space for women's leadership and a gradual but increasing appreciation for women and feminine wisdom. And this certainly can include men in all kinds of ways because men have access also to feminine energy and insight and wisdom within themselves. 
But I'm really curious about how you talk about this in, let's say, a more mainstream setting, or how do you talk about this with someone who's not already on the same page with you? Because there are different ways to describe this, but I'd, I'd really love to hear what your way is. Well, you know, I, I talk about how we've all inherited definitions of the masculine and the feminine that are both very limited and very flawed. And that we can see evidence throughout our culture of how those inherited definitions have damaged us and how many among us have grown up without very healthy parenting, without adequate education, and to perpetuate models of what's sometimes referred to as toxic masculinity or, you know, a relationship to the quote feminine that thinks it's trivial and frilly and pink and sexualized, you know? And obviously those definitions aren't working very well for any of us, and they're perpetuating violence throughout our culture. And so I believe that in order to make peace, not only within the human world, within ourselves, within our families, within the human society, and in relationship to our mother, the earth, we actually need to reconcile that uh, violent habitude and shift it because it's the only way we're going to get through the confluence of crises we currently face. Yeah, I really agree. And I think there's a big relationship between how we treat one another and how we treat nature and the earth and other species. So anyone who's working to educate and heal us out of violent treatment of one another is also helping directly or indirectly with how we treat the natural world because patterns of abuse in human behavior show up everywhere, not just in, in one place. Absolutely. And, and I would add an additional octave to what you just said so beautifully, which is we do it to ourselves. You know, I mean, think of all the ways we judge ourselves or have these self-limiting beliefs that say, well, I can't do that because I didn't get formally educated or I can't do this because I'm not smart enough or young enough or strong enough or whatever it is. The I'm not enough stories and all the ways that we make ourselves wrong for being emotional, for asking questions, for needing help. And you know, I, I think we have to learn a level of self-love that actually manifests in very tangible ways as self-acceptance, because that's how we make peace with the earth, because we are part of the same system that created her. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to mark for our listeners that one of the beautiful things you do in the book is you have inquiry sections and mm. a very kind of practical how-to inquiry that can guide readers to progress within themselves in their mm. own awareness and understanding and their sense of themselves as leaders. I also really liked how you said a few minutes ago that if we want to make space for the feminine or feminine leadership or feminine feminine wisdom, 
we have to start by looking within and you start by looking within. And I think you named paying attention to your emotions and your body. And I think that's so important because, you know, we already talked about how it does seem like we're outgrowing this vertical hierarchy understanding of human relationships and leadership. But I also think we've developed kind of an excessive sense of all the energy has to go out. I need to be making this kind of masculine energy impact in the world. And a lot of us are really trying to remember, oh, but it needs to start within, with my own emotional awareness, tending to my own relationships, certainly tending to the body. And I see that we've made a lot of progress there as a culture, but we still have a long way to go. A do very you, long way. <laughs> yeah. So do you have any other thoughts on that? Because my sense is a lot of people are working with this. They're working with attentiveness to their own emotions and attentiveness to their bodies and what's going on with, with one's body, what we can learn from, from the body and from relationships. But that's still hard for people. It's edgy oh, yeah. and it doesn't really fit the masculine paradigm, like the way we're supposed to behave at work or whatever. Do you have further things you'd like to share about that territory? Sure, sure. I mean, you know, I think we have to recognize that the structures that raised us gave us a particular emphasis on productivity on being in action mode all the time you know and as women we have a tendency to do it even more because we think we're gifted with multitasking which many of us are but there's this sense of a, a driving pace which i know you know for me it's one of the things that this pandemic has helped me with the most is realizing that uh, the, uh, one of my favorite teachers says, the feminine flourishes in spaciousness. And even if you just take five minutes at your desk to close your eyes and move your wrists and ankles around and breathe really deeply, that five minutes and give yourself a chance to just inhabit your body without doing, without thinking about your to-do list, literally give yourself permission to do nothing for five minutes and you know for me i have a practice of what's called relational mindfulness and it's a beautiful sitting practice and when i give myself somewhere between five and 15 minutes of it in the morning it makes my day so much better it just gives me this you know there's a there's a serene place inside me rather than jumping right into the fray. And, and so I think, you know, and what's interesting is when you start, what I find is that when I start to practice that, it helps me believe that I am worthy of that kind of self-care and that what wants to come through me, the work, the words, the leadership that wants to come through me will be so much better and more focused, more integrated, of a higher quality because of my own self-care. And I think, you know, we are in a period that I think of as a marathon. And it's not so much a marathon race, 
but it is a long-term haul. I don't think the changes that we want to see in every institution around us from, you know, our ecology and the climate crisis to our politics, our education, our economic system, our racial justice, everything really is up for review and renewal. And it's going to take time. And I think one of the things we have to break is that tendency to work till you drop, you know, to burn out some of our finest leaders because they're in nonstop overdrive. And I know I've been there. I have a very strong, quote, masculine action energy drive within me. And it's taken a lot of work to give myself permission to slow down and to accomplish a little less, but perhaps I hope to do it better. I really appreciate that you addressed that. It's been a, a personal area of challenge and growth and development for me also for a long time. And certainly, as you say, we've had far too many environmental or social justice leaders or leaders in other spaces who have pushed themselves to exhaustion and depletion, and that's not helpful for anyone. I think another really important thing to mark there, and I'm, I'm guessing you see this too, is that if we want to be bringing restoration or regeneration to human culture and the earth, it's not right to do so from a model of push and force and self-depletion because that's exactly the model that got us into this position where we're burning up all the fossil fuels and we're industrializing as fast as we can and pushing people to work more and more hours. So I'm, I'm just really glad you addressed that because I think we still need a lot of conversation around this aspect that if you wanna to contribute to healing or regenerative change, you need to have a healing and regenerative model of action for yourself and your endeavor. Well, I think that's exactly right. And also what I would say is that for me, nature, culture, and the spirit are all related and integrally uh, congruent. And so if we want to change the culture, which I think is the root of what's really most gone awry, we have to be able to model that form of leadership that we hope to ignite and inspire in others. And, you know, that's how we change culture is by telling the stories and embodying the world we want to co-create. And, and uh, you know, and for women especially, we need to see models of women who are willing to be vulnerable, women who are willing to take time out for their own self-care, uh, women who are willing to really hold their dignity, their full dignity, our full dignity, I should say, with the awareness that we don't have to be all things to all people and that we really have to balance self-care and care for the world. Yeah. And I want to add, I think it makes a huge difference when men model that also. And I, I'm, oh I'm sure gosh. you've seen this because given that many, probably most quote unquote leadership positions are still held by men, when men step into that space of self-care or vulnerability, it gives permission to a lot of people. So it's, you know, we're all influencing one another all the time. And, and that yeah. 
that can be a, a wonderful thing. It's one of my very favorite reviews on Amazon of my book is from a man who said, this book is helping me understand my daughters and my sister and my wife and myself more deeply. And I was like, yes, how wonderful, yay. We need lots of men to read this and, and find that in themselves yeah. and give themselves permission. Yes, that's really inspiring. I love that one thing you state in the book is that when we're thinking about leadership and power, it's you specifically say it's not really our power we're reclaiming. It's actually the power of life's energy coming through us. And I really loved that. It really gives us a sense of the small self and the larger self that we're interacting with and trying to restore here. How do you think our listeners can encounter this power of life's energy? How do you like to do that? It's, you know, in our industrialized culture, that's not something we're talking about a lot. More and more people are doing it. And I'm sure through Bioneers, you've seen all kinds of models of really being in touch with the power of life's energy. So what comes to mind when I ask you, how do you recommend that people do that if they don't feel like they're mm. engaged with it a lot? Well, it's a lovely question, Shara. And what I would say is, I'll bet that everyone listening has had some experience of a day when everything seems to be in flow, you know, and where synchronicities happen. And one thing just beautifully organically leads to another. And I would suggest that paying attention to those times and what happens within yourself when you experience that is really important you know i think in many ways experiencing the power of life is largely about getting out of our own ways and helping and that involves conscious practice and rituals like i talk about in the book i think we have to very intentionally kind of peel away the habits of self-judgment and the habits that say i'm not good enough you know, and the practices that say, oh, I could only imagine doing this. I can't imagine doing this. Because if we really follow our hearts and our intuition and our dream time and our ancestors' guidance, I believe we can do anything we set our sights on. And we can't always do it according to our own plan. You know, I think part of that is surrendering to life's mystery you know, and what I have come to recognize about my sitting meditation is that it, it makes me feel connected to the vastness and the mystery of life. You know, I'm lucky enough to live on the edge of a national forest and our dogs take us for walks twice a day. And when I walk in the woods, I often practice both sending love through the bottoms of my feet into the earth and receiving her love back through the bottoms of my feet. Mm. And what I find is, you know, once a week, I do an incredible online movement class that I love. And 
it's not any specific prescribed kind of movement or dance. It's not yoga. It's, it's moving to music that I love and in a prayerful way, sending intentions for how we hope the world is changing. And I always find that I feel energized and renewed and strengthened after that. And I have to remind myself, oh yes, we in this culture forget to move our bodies and forget the power of, of movement in ways that um, honor the truth of our hearts and our intentions and our prayers. You know, there's something so beautiful about aligning all that. Yes, it's so true, Nina. I love hearing about you walking in the forest and doing your movement practice. And it reminds me of how, you know, both our, our global religious traditions and science point out to us that we're made from the earth. You know, it's so interesting. A number of world religions, scriptures describe us as being made from the soil and in fact, you know, the same elements that are in the earth are in us, the calcium, the phosphorus, the carbon, all of that. And you know what I love? There's a there's a marvelous little YouTube video that listeners can find called The Mycelium is Listening. And it tells the story. It's Paul Stamets's voice, who is this great mycologist, telling the story of how science has now learned and proven that mycelium respond to sound frequencies. And the sound frequency that mycelium like the most are the low frequency sounds, like the sounds that drumming makes, like the sounds that all of our ancestors and the first peoples of this earth have been making for millennium. You know, so it's not just a mythology or a concept that actually we and the earth are constantly communicating we really are right and science is proving it over and over again it's amazing oh, it's so true and i'm just imagining the time when humans are are singing to the earth again and and hearing earth sing yeah. to us as she constantly does yes. so that leads me to the last thing that i would like to ask you nina you have made such huge contributions through Bioneers. I hope somebody is going to write a history of what Bioneers has brought to the earth because it's really tremendous. So I wonder when you imagine this future that so many of us now desire, a regenerated planet with thriving people and plants and animals, what do you imagine or think about or envision? What does that look like to you? Well, the first part is how we get there. And one of my favorite dream imaginings is that all of us who care deeply about co-creating a better world from every vantage point so that all the social and ecological movements that are currently flourishing and strengthening can overcome the compartmentalization that they tend to be yes. in, can come together in a way that recognizes our common cause and strengthens the connective tissue among us. Because the collective power uh, that we have when we do that, when we are able to do that, is 
going to be immense. And I think the second part that I would say is that is that every child of every species has the conditions and the encouragement and the equity to fully flourish into what their soul brought them here to become. That that's my imagining. And I don't have any illusions about, you know, there will be less species, there will be less humans. I know that there is pain and loss in this transition, but I also know that we are collectively co-creating a new world and that the more we can focus our attention, our love, our energy, and our will in supporting that and not allow ourselves to be overly distracted or limited or confined, it's a beautiful thing what we're co-creating. And I know it's going to happen. I don't know how soon. I don't know if I'll live through to see it all the way. I sure hope so. And, uh, and you know, I, I really am encouraged by how many of us there are. Yeah. And then it's really a matter of, again, how do we, you know, come out of this compartmentalized worldview and don't let the divide and conquer strategies prevail because They've prevailed for far too long, and we need the unity of the great minds together and great hearts together now. Yes, I completely agree. You said it beautifully, so I'm not going to add anything. Thank you so much, Nina. It was a great pleasure to talk to you. I heartily recommend the book to our listeners. It's beautifully written, it's clear, it's warm, it's welcoming. I really like the inquiry sections, as I mentioned, and I hope everybody reads it and benefits from it and that you will grace us with more books in the next few years. (laughs) Well, thank you. And I hope everyone listening will go visit Bioneers.org. And if you go there and you do a backslash to NCS, Sign up for the Bioneers newsletter because it will clue you into the great stuff happening and be a natural antidepressant with no ill side effects. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much, Nina. Thank you for listening all. Thank you for listening to Humans and Earth. Please share this episode to broaden engagement in the regeneration our world needs. You'll find social media links in the show notes. To explore our other offerings, visit www.humansandearth.com.